Hey, welcome. This is Pastor Tyler Whitcomb. I just want to say on behalf of the leadership of Fos Church, we are so glad that you're checking out the Fos Church podcast. At Fos, we believe in the authority of God's word and the ability it has through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of mankind and to mold and shape its readers into the image of Christ. And so we pray that these messages would do just that that you would hear God's word and be changed by it. Lastly, our encouragement is, if you do not belong to a local Bible-believing church, that you would do so, because a podcast will never allow you to serve the purpose that God has called you into belonging to the church. So uh, this shirt last year I wore it on Father's Day as well. Um, there was kind of a prank put on a lot of the guys that... Uh, the wives got us all the same shirt, and I wasn't even married at the time, and yet I still got the shirt. Um, and apparently there's been some chatter out in the lobby as if this is a sign of some sort. I am here to rest you assured, no little one in the oven yet. Um, so, uh, we are not pregnant, um, but happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. Can we get up for our men? You know, um, a lot of times it's easy to make jokes about dads dropping the ball on Father's Day. You know, like on Mother's Day, we give out all the women a flower. On Father's Day, we don't give the guys anything. Um, but I, I don't, I don't want to take a jab at dads. I, I feel like there's enough of that going on in society and culture. Um, and I just know that there's deep wounds that a lot of men carry with them, right? The feelings of not being enough, feelings of failure and adequacy, and I don't want to add uh, fire to that flame. Um, you know, men, we, you may fall short. You, you, there may be days when you just wake up and, and you failed, um, but we are better for you. We are better for um, the, the nuclear family, you know, having a, a strong father in the home, caring for the family, and so we just commend you uh, today and uh, encur so encouraged by um, our fathers. Now, um, it's been a couple weeks. Last week I wasn't here. Um, I came down with bronchitis the week before, and it just like knocked me flat out. And then on Monday of this week, uh, I got my wisdom teeth taken out. They took out all four. And um, the doc told me before, he's like, I got to take out all the wisdom teeth. And I said, can you just leave a little bit of the wisdom for me? He said, no, that's all I got to go. So uh, I'm just going to appeal to God's word like we normally do. Um, my, uh, my wisdom is very limited. It's, it's got a ceiling, but, but this is infinite wisdom. This is God breathed. That the God of the creator of the heavens and the earth, all that you can see, breathe into this book. And he revealed himself and he teaches us about life and he teaches us about how it's supposed to work and, and, and the design that he gave to everything. It's all found in here, but it's ultimately a revelation of himself. You want to know what God looks like? You want to know what God sounds like? You, you read the word. It'll tell you everything you need to know about God and his existence. And for the last uh, five months now, we've been in this series called A Tale of Two Kings where we've looked at the first two earthly kings of Israel, Saul and David. And if you remember at the very beginning of the series, you know, before there was kings, we had judges. 
And, and eventually the people of Israel, they come and they say, hey, hey, Samuel, we don't want any more judges. We want a king just like everybody else. You know, they wanted this figure that they could follow that would give them life and meaning and purpose. And really that's within humanity. We, we hero worship. We, we do, I mean, we, 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 I mean, celebrity culture is obviously all over our culture. We have people that we follow on social media and TikTok and, and all that. And we, we glom onto people as if they're gonna produce some kind of life in us, some hope in us and still some, still something in us. And what we've seen through this case study, as you look at these two earthly kings, is that no person was ever meant to be able to do that for you. No, no human is going to satisfy your soul, right? Uh, we, we weren't capable of doing that. And, and, and I'm not even blaming the culture. You see this in the church. We hero worship in the church, right? We, we glom onto certain worship bands, like they're the end all, whatever they write, we have to sing it and, and it's the greatest. And that's not true. Or, or we have these preachers that we put on these big pedestals, you know, you Billy Graham, Tyler Whitcomb, you know, stop doing that. But in all reality, we, we do it too, right? And, and then what, what, the, what, what so bothers me about the church is when we get that one celebrity that says, hey, I'm a Christian and we all glom on to like now the day is saved. Like now the church is gonna thrive because Justin Bieber put out a gospel album. Hey, I, I dig the beeps, right? I, I had the beep haircut in high school. I tried to at least, you know, and I like the beeps, but Christianity isn't one whether or not Justin Bieber puts out a gospel album, right? Or the Duck Dynasty people. And we get so excited, like, these are our people. They're gonna lead us into the promised land because they have influence. But you look in the New Testament, you see the people that Jesus begins building his church with. Paralytics. Women in adultery, right? I mean, these, these aren't the people you're thinking, oh yeah, they're gonna win the day for us. And yet those are the people that Jesus uses, right? These are the people that Jesus begins building his church with. He doesn't go to Rome. He isn't trying to get Nero to, to be his spokesperson, right? He uses ordinary people and that should give you and I some, some courage to see us as more than maybe what we see ourselves as, that, that God could really do profound things in you and through you. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that God could use you in mighty ways? And do you believe that his ways are gonna be better than what you could conjure up on your own? Because ultimately what we've seen through David, again, not, some, not a perfect person. You know, we, 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 we've talked about his life. He, he went out and killed a guy so he could sleep with his wife. We're probably not letting him serve in kids ministry here. Right, like that's just the honest reality. He, David and his sins and his baggage that he's bringing in here would probably make some of you uncomfortable, right? We, we would be given looks. Ooh, he's here. You know, let's make sure our security's got clean eyes on him, right? I mean, that's probably how we would view David because of everything that he had done and everything he had gone through. Um, and yet what you can see through David is a faithful imperfect pursuit of what it means to be a Christ follower. God, Christ wasn't in the Old Testament. Uh, the name Christ wasn't. That's why they use David as a messianic foretelling. But, but ultimately, he's faithfully following God 
imperfectly. And, and as you and I, we are gonna do that. You and I, we aren't going to be perfect. And the last thing that we need to do is, is let shame take the day because you fall short. That should be the expectation. You're gonna fall short. And yet, are you gonna live out of God's story or your story? Your story can tell you a lot of things. I mean, that's what we've seen in Saul. Saul is a man who has followed his own story where Saul is the point, where Saul is the subject. Man, we are the indirect object of the sentence. And, and, and it's God is the subject. And if we're living out of God's story, there's real freedom in that. And you get to be defined by how God defines you, not by your failures, your mistakes, your shortcomings. You're no longer destroyed by somebody else getting recognition or you don't see people as a threat. You don't see them as competition, but you're able to be encouraged by other people. But so much of what Saul does is he lives out of his own story and he's the point and everyone else is a potential stumbling block for him. But David is a man who though he falls, though he's imperfect, though he stumbles, he stumbles forward in a pursuit of God. And so we, we've, we've taken lessons from both of these two individuals, both Saul and David, for these last five months, we, we've uh, assessed their lives, we've assessed their leadership and say, hey, what are some things that we can learn from their lives? Um, and though they're incapable kings, David gives us a picture of faithfully following, though imperfectly, God. And how God continually shows up in David's shortcomings. In his own failures, God shows up into the story. Um, one of the things that I know I've mentioned several times, but I don't know if I've added this detail for you guys, but um, this was never what I envisioned for my life. I never thought that I was going to be a pastor. I never thought that I was going to be leading a church like that. Preaching, that wasn't something as I was exiting high school, that wasn't the plan. I had other ideas, other hopes, dreams, aspirations. But the thing that I normally don't share is that from a very young age, I would tell people that I thought I was going to be a preacher one day. From as, as a kid, just young, naive, like, I, I think I'm going to be a pastor. And, and then, um, so much so that I went to this small Baptist school and I competed in preaching competitions. And, because what do Baptists do for fun? They do preaching competitions. And I went to the Mecca of independent fundamentalism called Bob Jones University. Not an endorsement by any means. Just saying I, I was there. I preached in a competition there. I didn't do great. I didn't get a great score. Um, I, I used my hands. I, I talked like a normal person. Apparently those are bad things to do when you're preaching. But I remember later in high school, the, the shift, the change in me that said, I don't want to do that. Uh, I'm going to go military. That was my hopes, I wanted to go into the Navy. I thought that's where God was leading me towards, but uh, a, a diagnosis at 16 um, no longer allowed me to do that. And so that, that door shut. Um, then upon leaving high school, I said, okay, well, then it'll be law enforcement. 
And so I, um, I actually did a ride along in the great city of Detroit. Um, Mike, you know Charles Patterson. I, I did the, the ride along with Charles and it was a night full of action. Uh, I mean, the sixth precinct, which is like seven mile in evergreen area, you know, it's like a different world down there. And the whole night was everything a 19-year-old guy who had a lot of testosterone going on wanted, right? It, it was danger. It was excitement. It was good guys versus bad guys. I mean, it was, it was exciting. And I thought, surely this is where my life is going. Surely this is what I'm going to do. And then life happened. And a lot of you know this detail, and you know the story probably from here, but... Um, I went into a surgery at 19, two months in the hospital. And it was in that time where God reintroduced that pastoral ministry idea. But I didn't necessarily still want to do it. Right? Like I said, hey, I haven't lost any heart for law enforcement. I haven't, I mean, nothing in me has said this is a bad idea. And so God eventually grew a desire in me for pastoral ministry that outgrew the desire for law enforcement. But I still remember when I made this shift and I said, hey, this is what I'm doing with my life. I, I wanted, I, I left kicking and screaming. I remember crying uncontrollably, actually, the day I made the decision where that was gonna change because it felt like something broke in me. And I felt like I gave up my dream and my desire and, and for what? I mean, the, the, the pulpit wasn't something that got introduced to me day one. Right? That, that was years in the making of, of actually getting an opportunity to preach. And so I remember God redirecting my path. And it's not that um, military or law enforcement are lesser things or, or bad things. They, they were different. And, and I so now see how God uniquely wired me for the work of the pastor. And so... God redirected me. And though his provision was all over that, it wasn't like it wasn't still hard. It wasn't like there wasn't still a feeling of loss. And so that's kind of what we're picking up in our story today. As David had began chasing his wildest dreams, right? I mean, at this point, what we said, God said, hey, you're gonna be the next king of Israel. But for 10 years, for 10 years, David is on the run. And as he's on the run, eventually he gets to his breaking point. Eventually he says, okay, enough's enough. I'm tired of Saul chasing me. I'm tired of Saul trying to kill me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually, if he can't beat him, join him. And I'm going to go to the Philistines. Because Saul ain't going to try and chase me there. I mean, Israel's army compared to the Philistine army. I mean, the Philistines are bigger. They're badder. Saul can't beat them without me. And so I'm going to go join them. And there I'll have protection. There I'll be safe. But he now is no longer, I mean, prior up to that point, before that decision, he is trying to discern God's voice. He is trying to hear from God. He's trying to be obedient to God, faithful to God. But he hit his breaking point, right? And so he finally says, okay, I'm gonna do what I think is the best idea. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the plan for my life. And I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go join the Philistines. And he does that, um, but in that, in that 10 years of running, in that 10 years of, even while he's hearing from God, the, the, one of the major themes of Saul's running years is one word, is escaped. One of the things you continually 
see in David's life up until this point was he escaped the lion, he escaped the bear, he escaped the Philistine, Goliath. He, he escaped Saul's spears. He escaped Saul's army. And so one of the things you continually see is escaped, 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 escaped. And though he escapes from all those other things, today you're gonna see God's provision, God's allowance for David to escape David. Even in David's own rebellion, even in David's own running and you know, running away from what God would have for him, God is going to allow him to escape. And David's not gonna go easy. He's gonna go kicking and screaming. But one of the sweetest, most loving things God can do for us is to save us from ourselves. And the best place to live is in obedience to God and following his, his word and his promises. And so we're gonna look at the first three verses in our text. The entire Philistine army now mobilized at Aphek and the Israelites camped at the spring in Jezreel and the Philistine rulers were leading out their troops in groups of hundreds and thousands. David and his men marched at the rear with King Ashish, but the Philistine commanders demanded what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish told them, this is David, the servant of King Saul of Israel. He's been with me for years and I've never found a single fault in him from the day he arrived until today. And so um, get this picture. This is what's happening, right? David has joined the Philistines and now Saul has conjured up, he's building up the Israelite army and now the Philistines are all gearing up and you have the full Philistine army and both sides are gearing up for battle. This will be a battle that we will see takes out Saul and his boys on the Israelite side. If you remember what, uh, from earlier in our, our, our series is that one of Saul's boys is Jonathan and Jonathan and David are like best friends. Right, or they, they have each other's back. And so they're now on opposing sides of this, of this battle though. Right? As both sides are standing up and they're measuring up and they're getting ready for battle, they're, they're going to be on opposing sides. And what we see at the very beginning of our text is that the Philistine army gets assembled and they're marching towards Jezreel where the Israelites are. I mean, they have a singular mission and focus, take out Israel. And guess who is in the Philistine march? David. Right, do you see that? That David is marching with the entire army of the Philistines. And so I want you to picture that. I mean, this is that they're marching in the thousands. I don't know how many Lord of the Rings fans we have in here, how many nerds there are. Um, but picture like Helm's Deep, two towers, all the orcs marching. Right? I mean, this, this massive army, this massive picture, and, and they're going to battle. And now picture this though. Picture at the very back of that orc army, Aragorn. Is, that, is it Aragorn or Aragon? Aragorn, okay. The nerds just identified themselves. <laughs> but that, that, I mean, with, with David marching at the back of that Philistine army, I mean, that's kind of that picture. It's like, who is the one that is standing out? Who's the one that doesn't belong? Clearly David. And so much so, do you, do you see what happens? It says that the commander comes. And he says, what are these Hebrews doing here? What are these guys doing here? 
And I just tried to picture him this week as I was preparing. Imagine David doing that march on that way before the commander comes and even identifies him. I mean, every step has to feel like torture, doesn't it? Because he's dealt with that dilemma. This is the human dilemma that we dealt with, uh, that we've been talking about. But are you going to follow yourself? Are you going to follow God? Well, he's trying to play a foot in both worlds, and eventually that hits ahead. You know, David did that for 16 months. He lived behind enemy lines for 16 months, rebelling against God, rebelling against God's people. But he did it as a fabrication. He, he tried to give an image that he was really rebelling. All the while, he wasn't really fighting God's people. He wasn't fighting God. So, so he was trying to put a foot in both worlds. Well, at, at this point, the curtain's getting pulled back and it's like, okay, there you are. Or are you gonna... What side are you going to choose? Where's your allegiance going to be? And here the guy calls it out. The commander calls it out. He says, hey, what are these guys doing here? And Achish immediately comes to his defense. He says, hey, don't you recognize David? This is Saul's boy. This is the guy that has served Saul, but he switched sides. He's come over to us now. He's, he's one of us. And I have not found a fault in him from the day he showed up till now. And so Achish comes to David's defense, he, he, maybe David quickly breathes a sigh of relief, like, okay, I live to see another hour, right? I mean, the, Achish really defends David. He believes the lies that David has already made. And, but if I'm David, I'm still standing there. I'm a little bit awkwarded out because these guys are debating about me and my character and where I stand and who my allegiance is to. And so, again, um, for a time, you, you can put a foot in both worlds, right? We, we, we've talked about this. David wants to play, put a foot in both worlds, but because those worlds aren't married, you can't have a home there. You, you know what I mean by that? Like, you could be on Saturday night, the weekend warrior, and then you show up to church on Sunday morning and, and post John three sixteen. Like, that can happen probably for a little while, but eventually your allegiance will, will display itself. It will eventually, you will be forced to choose. Choose this day whom you, whom you will serve, right? Eventually there'll come a point, who and what are you serving? Because Jesus says the words, you can't serve mammon and me. You're gonna love the one or hate the other, right? Jesus demands total allegiance and here David's dealt with that, right? He, he's dealt with what am I going to choose? Because you have to choose one. It's the precise reason why in the New Testament, you see the apostle Paul use the word adoption. Adoption. It, it conveys conversion. That when you become a believer in Jesus, something happens in you that, that switches, that changes, and you become part of a new family. But you don't get to be in the system of the world and be in the family of God. Those two things aren't married. And so you'll choose a home. And, and that doesn't mean that you, you'll live a perfect life. That doesn't mean you won't stumble. That won't even mean that you don't visit the system sometimes. Because you see that throughout our series. It doesn't mean you won't visit the system sometimes, but you can't have a home there. You can't have a home there. And so that's what this commander is debating. He says, should he be here? Is this his home? Are we his people? Because I don't think so. Even though Achish is like, no, trust, trust me, trust me, trust me. 
we're gonna see what the commander says back to that, trust me, trust me, trust me. Verse four. But the Philistine commanders were angry. Send him back to the town you've given him, they demanded. He can't go into battle with us. What if he turns against us in battle and becomes our adversary? Is there any better way for him to reconcile himself with his master than by handing our heads over to him? Isn't this the same David about whom the women of Israel sing in their dances? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So Achish finally summoned David and said to him, I swear by the Lord that you've been a trustworthy ally. I think you should go with me into battle for I've never found a single flaw in you from the day you arrived until today, but the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. Please don't upset them, but go back quietly. And so um, the commander sees right through this. He, he says, hey, you, no, he's not coming with us because if we go into battle, we go to fight the Israelites. What if this guy turns on us. What if he becomes our enemy? I mean, he knows our plot. He knows our plan. He knows, and our backs will be turned to him, right? He's right behind all, I mean, he could start wrecking havoc on us. Don't you see, Achish, why he can't come with us? Don't you see the dilemma that this is causing? And he, so much so, the, the commanders acknowledge the song. Remember, I, I said, one of the things you see about David's descriptors um, is that he's not very tall, he, he's kind of short, but he, it says that he has beautiful eyes, that he has nice flowing hair. And so, I, but he plays the harp really well. He plays songs. I told you, he, he was the Bieber of his day, right? He, he, he had hit songs, you know, Saul killed his thousands, but David is 10,000. I mean, this was top 40. This is what people were listening to throughout Israel. It was part of the choreographed dances for these women, Right? I mean, people knew this song. They loved this song. And the commander points to the song. He says, don't, don't you remember back? When, 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 when it was constantly on the radio and everybody was singing that song? What that, he goes, what that song tells me was that he was faithful to God and God's army. But it was also that he was the champion of the people. I mean, he was loved by those people. He flew their flag. He was on their side. He was their captain. And so now you think things have changed? Now you think he, he, he's not going to be, have allegiance to, to Israel? Of course he's going to have allegiance to Israel. They loved him. He was their champion. He was their hero, right? He, he's going, he is going to pledge allegiance there. And so these commanders see that. They see the issue with that. And um, I said, he's not going to be neutral here. And I think there's this growing ideology, um, even, even within church culture, that believes that things that go on in the world are neutral. That, that, that you know, voices of culture are neutral. That, um, and they're just not. From, from pop culture to politics, everything has an agenda. Everything is, 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 it's a fight for souls right now. And, and all the messaging in your, in your songs and in your, in your entertainment shows, I mean, it's all conveying something. Uh, I mean, you, you, you see these shows, Bachelor, Bachelorette, and, and then you see a polygamy problem in our culture and we're, we're, we're just baffled by it. How in the world does this happen? Well, well, you put on a TV show there, somebody goes from room to room to room and... You're wondering why people have a problem with variety. And yet, it's what 
we consume. It's what shapes our minds. I mean, I mean what, entertainment, politics, I mean, these are some of the only things in our society that we think that we can consume without it affecting the way we act, the way we live, the way we think. Nothing is neutral. And so um, what you're seeing is that you can't have a love for God and be embraced by the world. Because here's what happens. Right, did you see what happened in the text? As the commanders see and they point and say, hey, no, he, he loves God. He was faithful to God. He's not going to embrace us. So get him out of here. Right? They, they take love for God. They say, hey, David has killed 10,000. Right? Remember the song. Don't forget the song. All of Israel championed this guy. He, if that's where his loyalties are, if that's where his allegiance is, then we don't want him. Get him out of here. And that's the message of our world. You are not going to have love for God, sacrifice to Jesus, and be embraced by the world, embraced by culture. And this happens not even because David, David doesn't have a moment where he feels convicted and he goes to King Achish and says, hey, actually, I need to confess some things. You know, I, I love God and I just can't participate in this. He, he doesn't do that. He, he, he doesn't feel convicted. He doesn't have this moment of confession. It's literally based on his reputation. I, I mean, he gets canceled because of his reputation, Hey, we know that, that you were faithful to God. We know that you love God's people. Canceled. Get them out of here. We don't want them. Based on his reputation, not even because of a confession that he made. And so don't, don't be confused. Our world does not love the fragrance of Christ. It was Gandhi that said, I love your Christ, but I hate your Christians. And I used to wrestle with that quote. I used to remember thinking, okay, is, is there validity to what he said? Like, are Christians the problem to evangelism? And, and here was my conclusion at some point in my life. I, I said, somewhat, right? There, there are people that at times give Christianity a bad name, giving Christ followers a bad name, that, that, that don't lead with love, that, that, you know, there are those types of people within our society and culture. I, I, I understand that. I, I can get where that, maybe that quote came from. But lest we not be confused, the world does not love the biblical Jesus. The world can love an idolized view of Jesus that's made in their own image, right? We, we, we love a Christ that never disagrees with us. We love a Christ that thinks and acts exactly the way we do. The problem is that then we have a billions of Christ's there's one Christ and he gave us an example and we look to him, we model our lives after him. And there are gonna be times when, when your life and Christ's life, they contradict. And you're gonna have to submit. You're gonna have to, okay, I might have to come kicking and screaming, but I gotta come. And, 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 I, and I, I'm going to humbly say, okay, Christ, I'm following you. It's not gonna be the other way around. And so when we hear these messages, uh, I, I love Christ, but hate your Christians. It's like, do, do you love the Christ that calls you to pick up your cross and follow him? Do, do, do we love the Christ that says that we have to come and lay down our lives? Jesus said, for whoever would desire to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel finds it. You want to find 
gospel life comes through laying down your life and living out of God's story, not your story. God as the subject, you as the indirect object. And so Jesus says that evidenced, um, love evidenced is obedience. And so no obedience, no love. And so the commander declines David's service. He says it's too much of a liability. He, he definitely has been a follower of God. He has been faithful to God. We, we can't ha- have him. Achish apologizes to David. He says, David, I'm sorry. I, I want you with me. I want, I want you to go into battle with me. I mean, you have been so great. Right? He goes from apologizing to giving David high praise, but then he sends him out. He says, but you, it's, not my, it's not my final call here. The, the rest of the commanders, they, they want you out, David. And so um, as he says that, let's pick back up in our text. This is David's response to Achish telling him it's time to go. He says, what have I done to deserve this treatment, David demanded. What have you ever found in your servant that I can't go and fight the enemies of my Lord, the king? But Achish insisted, as far as I'm concerned, you're as perfect as an angel of God, but the Philistine commanders are afraid to have you with them in the battle. Now get up early in the morning and leave with your men as soon as it gets light. So David and his men headed back into the land of the Philistines while the Philistine army went to Jezreel. David goes kicking and screaming. They say, hey, David, you know, again, not my decision, but you have to go. And David's like, but why? What have I done? Why are you treating me like this? He doesn't want to go, right? I mean, I think David in his mind is thinking, hey, the reason why I ran here a few years ago, that hasn't changed. Saul will still try to kill me. Like I need the protection of the Philistine army. And if I get sent out of here, man, I I am an open target again. I I think he's seeing what this is going to cost him by leaving. And I wanted to say this, that even in God's providence, we can feel loss. Even in God's providence, even when you see God working and moving and it's clear and it's obvious, it can still be loss. It can still feel like I'm losing something. I, I can still think back to my own story where, where I, yes, I, I made that definitive moment. God, you're clearly moving here. You're clearly working in my mind and my heart and you're directing me. I don't want to give this up. I don't want to let go of what I want to do, right? And so I I can vividly remember that even in God's providence, even in God's working, they're still feeling as though there was loss. And I think the big C church, the the, the church that is every makeup of every Christian and follower of Christ, uh, I think the big C church um, doesn't have a great theology of, of loss, I don't think we handle loss well. I don't think we mourn loss as well, right? That, that we really take time to think about loss. But you see it in the New Testament. You see Paul at times talking about everything that he's lost. Yes, he says, hey, it, I'm not, I'm not um, regretting the trade. Uh, I, I'm not second guessing things now, but there was real loss to coming to follow Christ, do we understand that? Do, do, do we really think that 
you know, I have to grieve losses at times. We have to grieve losses at times. And so what you see in David grieving this loss, you know, grieving being sent out, that's very natural to the human experience, right? That, that, that he is experiencing loss. Um, and so Akish sends David out. It doesn't use the word escape, but that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Where, where so much through David's story, so much of the running years, he escaped, he escaped, he escaped. And now, even in his own rebellion, in his own, okay, God, I, I know what you say, but I'm doing my own thing. And even in his own running in pursuit of his own endeavors, God has to course correction. And he does it through ways you wouldn't expect. Uh, I mean, the Philistine army, the king doesn't even want him to go. And yet God still directs him out of there. David escapes from David. David didn't get what he wanted. And, and, and I'm sure that there are people in here that would say throughout your life, there were moments where you didn't get what you wanted. Is that true of any? Like six people. I'm sure that there are moments in your life where you wanted something, were hoping for something, dreaming of something, and it didn't come to fruition. And I'm sure that what that did inside of you was it probably made some accusations against God. If not accusations, at least confusion of God. Hey, I don't understand why you're not giving me this. I'm not asking for anything bad. I'm asking actually for something that's good. Why can't you give me what I am desiring? Even if it's a good thing. God, why aren't you giving it to me? Might not be his timing. And it might not be in his plan for you of why he's not giving you what you're desiring. And I think about the words of Jesus in the most prolific sermon that he ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. At the very end, this is what he says. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is your father in heaven able to give you all good things? Do you, you know what that says to me? That if God's not giving you something, then it must not be for your good because he points out to the people. He points out to the crowd and he says, hey, you're imperfect people. You're broken people. You, there ain't one parent in here that didn't mess up your kid in some way. And that's not a slight, I'm going to do it. Not intentionally, not purposefully. My wife will call me out when I do it. But there isn't one person that in some way hasn't in some way negatively affected their child. Why? Because we're imperfect people. And it's never intentional and it's never something you're looking to do. But there would not be this crazed epidemic that we have on our hands of needing of, uh, of therapists and counselors, right? I, we, were, we were just looking at some of these like job posts. I mean, you can be a part-time therapist right now for like $130,000, so I'm going back to school for, for counseling. And, um, but but, but there's, there's these great jobs out there. Why? Because there's such a great need. Why? Because in those first few years of your life, right? You know, in those informative years, 
you're affected, right? You, you, you experience the, the brokenness of the world and, and you were marked in some way. Those are things you have to work through now, right? You gotta work on your story, work on things, how you were affected. And I guess where I'm, where I'm going with all of this is um, Jesus points to them and he says, you might, be, you might be loving, you might be caring, but you've failed your child in some way. But if you know how to give good things, how much more is a perfect heavenly father able to give all good things? And so God's not trying to rob you of anything. God's not trying to rob you of some joy, some thrill, life. No, in fact, Jesus came and he says, hey, I have come that you might have life and what? Life more abundantly. What is Jesus about? He's about giving you life, not trying to take from you. And so if you're left there in that middle of that confusion of saying, okay, God, why aren't you giving me what I want? Because he has something better for you. Because he has something better. It might not be what you want, but it's better. Would you trust that? Because if he who did not spare his own son, this is what Paul said in Romans, if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he lavish you with his love? I mean, you need evidence for God's love for you. You need evidence of God's plans for your life. You look at that cross, the songs we sing. I mean, this is a picture. It's a beam of evidence of God's love for you that he would give his one and only son for you that you might experience life and life to the fullest. And so if you're here and you've never done that today, if you're here and you've, you've wrestled in that confusion, I, I wanna give clarity that God loves you. He cares for you. He gave his son for you so that you might be reconciled to God. And so that's the invitation for you this morning. Let me pray for us.